Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Michael Weening, CEO of Calix. We discuss the state of the digital divide in the U.S. today and the smaller providers that are disrupting the industry. We also discuss the private and public funding sources fueling broadband build-outs across the U.S., why he thinks the country should prioritize funding fiber networks, and much more. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Looking forward to it. Me too. So um, I wanted to first uh, talk to you just briefly about your role at Calix. You know, obviously you were not too long ago appointed CEO, but you were president. You've been with the company. So tell me a bit about um, your time with the company and your vision for this next year. Sure. Uh, I've been with the company for about seven years now. Mm -hmm. Um, I joined, I came out of the cloud world and the software world. I was with Salesforce prior to that out of Tokyo and and doing a global job. I also worked for Microsoft for an extended period of time in the communication sectors business. So I've been in the communication sector for a long time. I've been in the software cloud business. And, and seven years ago, I was tapped on the shoulder by Carl Russo, who's pretty well known in the industry. He you know, founded Serent and others um, to come and join the company as he led what he thought would be a big transformation of the organization into a platform company because he saw a huge opportunity coming in our industry and a massive disruption ahead. And that disruption is kind of what we're right in the middle of, which is a big change in, in how the industry goes day to day, how it functions, what's possible. And I would say, you know, a move away from the big legacy carriers who have dominated the world to empowering um, small and medium sized um, broadband service providers bluntly to move faster and do a better job. Yeah. So I know that you guys, you have um, most of your customer bases here in the U.S. You have a good mix of those like tier two, tier three, smaller providers. Um, So from what you know, working with your customers, tell me a bit about the challenges that are still upholding the divide here in the U.S. and the areas that you serve. Um, And tell me a bit about where your customers are building out. Are they building out in unserved territories right now or underserved? Um, Just give me your perspective on the digital divide from Calix's perspective and your customers. Sure. That's a great question. So, you know, when we think about the digital divide, we really look at our role as to be the, the enablers of the disruptors. So if, you know, and I, and I think to understand why the digital divide exists, we really need to go and look at the telecom market as a whole and realize, you know, why it's happened this way and why that divide existed. And it really existed because if you, if you think about um, the market, the market was really based upon big companies who had all the advantages. So the, the big legacy telco and cable companies were the ones with the access to capital. But more importantly, they had also had access to the technology. Everybody, every company, technology company out there would chase the big company, right? They, you know, whether it's Netflix who want to do a partnership with AT&T or, you know, um, a, a big company, you know, some kind of technology company saying, look, I got I to gotta pursue those big companies because they're the ones who, who I want to tie my boat to. And that meant that all of these smaller organizations in small communities were really left behind, It was very difficult for them, for example, to start a broadband company, you know, to start a broadband company seven, eight years ago, you'd have to talk to like 15, 20 different companies. You'd have to cobble all this technology together like the big companies do. They take technology, they innovate on top of it by cobbling it all together and hoping it won't break. And so our role in this is actually to take what we've seen happening in the cloud and software world, which is 
a massive shift in access to technology, democratization of access to technology and making it so even the smallest company out there can be faster and better than the biggest companies in the world. They'll have the best technology possible to take it into their communities and completely change it. And it's at a perfect time because the other thing that's happened is that access to capital has shifted away from the big companies. The big legacy um, telco cable, they're burdened with massive amounts of debt. They haven't actually given great returns on investment, but private equity, family-run institutions, folks like that who have money are saying, hey, I can go into this local community. There's a significant need. I can go build out and support the community and then have a long-term 30, 40-year return on investment, which is very profitable, and at the same time, really closing that divide. So, so when you couple together the fact that the technology is now available to even the smallest company and access to capital, it becomes this massive disruption that's happening in the industry. And we're super proud to be right in the middle of it because literally a company comes to us and says, I want to start a broadband provider. Instead of having to couple it all together, we literally give them the whole platform end to end. They can be up and running in three months. And it right. is a massive shift in what's possible. Right. And I, I would note that I just did an episode um, with one of my colleagues at Heavy Reading, on, which did uh, research recently with some of the ISPs around the world and what they're looking for in vendors as they're doing these build outs are end to end solutions, even more than cost savings. So I think you're uh, you're in a good spot. Well, can I, um, can I comment on yeah, that? Absolutely. Well, I, I think that whole concept of CapEx savings is also a big legacy mindset. It's big procurement teams. The, the company who will win in the future will actually be the one who has the best OPEX. Mm -hmm. It is that simple. Because in essence, you know, the cost of capital is quite low still, even with the interest, interest rates uh, increasing. But if you have in, in a really simple environment, which yields very high margins, you win. That's just right. all there is to it, right? And so that's what our customers are really focused on. How do I have the simplest, you know, everything just done for me, working with my clouds so I can just turn it up and go. And then that means what I can do is I can take all my investment that I make off that profit and put it back into expanding my footprint, investing in the community, all those different things. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's now, look, if, if I was to go into a town of 4,000 people, the, you know, seven years ago, if I had to cobble all that technology, the ROI to actually go into that town, it wouldn't be there. Now, it's incredibly profitable, um, again, because the democratizing power of our platforms make it very, very profitable. So in addition to, and I want to come back to your platforms a little bit later, but um, in addition to, uh, you know, private capital, as you mentioned, individual investors, there's, of course, this big chunk of federal funding that's coming down. And we've also seen um, other federal programs like the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. I don't think you guys are seeing a ton of um, federal funding fueling your uh, customers yet, but um, I wanted to know how you're thinking about uh, the opportunities presented by BEAD and the Middle Mile Fund and how you guys are preparing internally at Calix for those. Okay. So before I get into that, because it, it's like everybody wants to talk about federal funding, right? So yep. let's just agree on what's going to happen with federal funding, right? It's going to take way longer than we anticipated to come out, right? And mm -hmm. it's going to trickle out over a decade, mm -hmm. which is fine because what's happened, what's been fueling our growth as a company is actually all of these, these other people making investments. I talked about private equity, family funds, family run companies, right? But then also cooperatives. Cooperatives are, are basically the lifeblood of rural USA. And if you think about the, the eight, 900, 1,000 electric utilities that are now becoming broadband providers, 
they have significant access to capital. So while we see this, this 10-year trend of that bead funding and all the other things coming, at the same time, there's other companies who are not wasting and are waiting. And you know, the best example I can give is, um, and I've got lots and lots of examples, but MEC um, is a company, if you talk to a guy named Bob Hans, he's the CEO, and they're an electric co-op. And what they did, they spent 10 years trying to convince legacy cable and, and telco to come into the region, 10 years. And he mm -hmm. finally said, he said, anyone comes, I'll help you fund it. And no one would come. And he finally said, I've had enough. We're going to do it ourselves. And his investment over the last five to seven years, building out his broadband company and servicing their community has led to $200 million of incremental investment into the community. So there are all these companies, private equity, family funds, and electric or utilities, telco utilities and electric utilities who are saying, I'm not waiting. I'm going to make the investment because it's good for my community. And by the way, it can be done profitably. Another example would be GVTC, who's a cooperative in, in Texas. They funded a $300 million network build off of cash flow because they leverage our platforms to be highly profitable and take that cash flow to fund infrastructure. So while everyone's talking about BEAD, it's going to take 10 years to roll out. It'll be a trickle. It has been irrelevant to us and our growth over the last three years. Um, and it'll be great because it will help us, you know, reach those other areas. But over the long term, you know, you got to remember, um, Americans are very um, innovative, right? Yeah. And, you know, that innovation is being fostered by all the other people who are willing to make the investment also. Okay, so basically, you're glad to see the the federal investment, but you're not counting on it for your own growth. No. And do you think it's necessary for to close the digital divide to have those federal <clears throat> funds? Well, I, I do think that it's absolutely necessary over the long term, okay. because there's going to be some places where, um, you know, before you go, capital goes to places where the best opportunity is, right? So we already have that covering the big areas. Now it's reaching out into towns of 20,000 and 10,000, but where you're going to need it is also to make sure that it reaches, you know, the farm. And in fact, mm -hmm. if you go back two weeks ago, um, I believe it was the house agriculture committee. What were they talking about? They were talking about in the agriculture funding, we need to have broadband and yeah. having broadband everywhere is really, really important because I, I want to have that smart ag farm and all those other things that can help it. The other part too is, um, and this is fascinating is that, you know, <clears throat> you look into towns and you see that, you know, the, the, you hear always the, the renewal of the downtown, right? Like that's a big focus. I would say we're in this era of the renewal of rural because mm -hmm. what, what work from home has completely changed is that all these people, and I have so many team members who have said, I was living in the big expensive city. I can work from anywhere. And our culture has been work from anywhere since 2016. We actually use it as an, uh, an acquisition strategy of talent. Now I can go live anywhere. I can go live in Tennessee as long as I have good broadband. Mm -hmm. so, so you're also going to see this influx of people who are making it more and more profitable. And that's why when you have that broadband, you make that economic investment as the United States into these really rural areas, they will get flooded because you have the infrastructure for people to actually live there and work there, which is great. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was I was going to bring that up because I see you often posting on LinkedIn, both uh, calling out the companies that are forcing their employees to go back to the office uh, and also recruiting the poor employees who are just laid off uh, from tech companies. So um, so since you do so much uh, recruiting on LinkedIn, do you have a pitch for people listening to this who care about the digital divide, uh, why they should come work at Calix? You know, it, it's it's fascinating. So 
when I think of the, the talent from today, when you talk to millennials, you know, they're way more connected to what's going on in the world and the sense of purpose than I was when I was, you know, 21 years old, right? But they mm -hmm. really care about what's the purpose. And so whenever we talk to new candidates, they always start with the first thing, who's Calix? <laughs> right? <laughs> Fair because enough. If you're, you know, if, you know, if you're in our industry, you know who we are, but if you're outside of the industry, we, you know, as, as one of our new board members said, you're the most interesting cloud company I've never heard of in the Valley. Right. <laughs> and so, so we start with educating him and saying, here's kind of where we come from. Here's the, um, you know, we are the innovators dilemma. If you've read the book on how to transform a company while running a company, we are literally a case study for it. And then we start to literally, we talk about our customers. We talk about all the scenarios that I, I talked to you about, how our purpose is to enable them to disrupt their markets, completely change their communities, close that digital divide, but, you know, make every, everybody's lives better. And when we start to share that to them, um, it, it is incredible. We, we had Daniel Pink recently speaking to our entire leadership team, and he listened to us speak before he spoke, and he got up and he basically said, you don't know how fortunate you are as a company because most people say, I got to find a purpose, you know, other than just make money. And it's really hard. You guys have this built in purpose that's so inspiring because your customers are so inspiring. And when they hear that, it completely changes the recruiting conversation because they're, they're like, I'm super interested. I'd like to be part of that because what I do means something, which is we're very fortunate to be able to work for the, the customers that we work for. And I can't tell you how much I enjoy supporting their success every day. So two years ago at our big event, we had um, our connections event uh, that we hold every October. We had a, a CEO, Dan Rodemaker, who's the CEO of Gibson Electric uh, uh, Electric Cooperative. And they mm -hmm. have, you know, taken Calix and deployed our platforms because they want to get up and running really fast. And his whole vision, it was, it was a, it was a heartbreak, you know, just a, a heartbreaking thing to hear. He said, look, we have the 13th poorest region in the United States, and we're the only ones who would step up to put broadband in. What was so inspiring about that is he said, we knew as a board that when we made that investment, we were going to have a multi-generational impact on the 13th poorest region in the United States. And so by making that investment, he knows that, first of all, education is going to be improved, right? I'm going to bring jobs because people will be able to work from home. And we literally, I have a case, I, we literally had an, a new team member join and she said, I'm living in a, a, a big city. I want to, I want, I think it was Tennessee that she wanted to move to. And she said, I want to go move to Tennessee. I don't, I, I, I would prefer to have a big acreage and all that kind of stuff and, and have that privacy. And she goes, are you really saying I can work from home? And we said, yes, there's only one condition. And that's, you got to move to a place that has really great broadband. Right. And so think about her. So she leaves with her, her income that she makes, which is a big city income, right? And then goes and moves into this really poor area in Tennessee, gets an amazing home or a big acreage, right? But she retains her income. So she brings local state taxes. She brings real estate taxes. She brings her investment in the community, buying from the local stores, all that kind of stuff. She, was, she has a, a, a multiplicative impact on everybody around her. Right. It's right. significant. It's a multiplier impact for sure. And so it's a it's that is the kind of forward thinking as is with Bob Hans um, and MEC, where he got two hundred million dollars worth of companies coming into his into his area. This has a profound impact over the long term.
Right. So speaking of those areas that need those federal funds then in order to build out um There's been an ongoing debate in the industry about the tech neutrality of the law uh, and whether fiber should be prioritized over, you know, unlicensed fixed wireless. Do you have any thoughts on on that? You know, when it comes to building out these really hard to reach areas, should we be prioritizing fiber? What are your thoughts? Um, I absolutely think that we should be prioritizing fiber for one reason. And the reason why is because um, once you put that fiber in the ground, it's, it's such a long life asset. All you have to do to take it from one technology to the next is actually, you know, upgrade the two endpoints and it goes and it goes and it goes, right? Okay. So it, it's, it's like building a bridge in my view. And I have another customer who, again, because they're so incredibly profitable with what we've been able to help them do, again, because we've democratized access to technology, allow them to drive incredibly low OPEX and massive margins. He's now saying, I'm going to go and invest in three and 4,000 meter runs out to farms that have a 32-year payback, right? But because, mm-hmm. they're, because they're community-orientated, he says, you know what? I'm making such great profit. I can afford to do that, where if I was just purely for profit, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, think about doing it. But it yields well. Yes, it's 30 years, so I'm making that investment for you know, the CEO, five CEOs from now. But it's the right thing to do for the long term. And once that, you know, once that farm gets wired up, it just allows them to do incredible things. Now, you know, with regards to fixed wireless, I think that there's absolutely an, you know, fiber goes to a fixed wireless from the fireless. So there's going to be some spots where there's edge cases where it should absolutely go to. Satellite is all bull. <laughs> right. Fair enough. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's Elon Musk twit uh, uh, nonsense. And so, you know, there's edge cases for satellites. So for example, if I had Elon Musk's yacht and I was out roaming in the oceans or, or, you know, Bezos's yacht for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But beyond that, you know, and if I'm, you know, literally at the top of the mountain, but beyond that, you know, fiber should reach 95% of Americans. Okay. So you're basically think the, the NTIA rules are good. I absolutely think they're good. The only thing I would say is that um, the minimums are not high enough. Um, You know, it needs to be a hundred, hundred minimum. Right. If you think about, you know, the people who are lobbying for 25 meg up, um, that is pure legacy um, telco and cable. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. flat out wrong. You know, you're making, you're making a $65 billion investment and you're going to accept 25 or even 50 meg up. Absolutely not. If it's not a hundred meg up, um, it's the wrong investment. Well, that's a perfect segue to my final question for you. And then I'll let you get back to helping people, uh, solve the digital divide around the country. Um, you guys talk a lot about, uh, getting broadband service providers, BSPs, as you call them, just to give me another, uh, acronym to track. Uh, (laughs) Don't know why you can't just say ISPs, but we'll deal with that another day. Um, you guys talk a lot about getting BSPs to evolve past, uh, quote unquote, dump being dumb pipes, uh, moving past just offering high speeds, um, and, you know, offering services that excite subscribers. So, uh, just two quick questions on that one, um, speeds are still used quite a bit in you know marketing materials as an effective way to get customers so how do you get your bsps to worry less about that um and secondly i guess what does the service provider of the future look like then from your perspective what does it look like to be evolved past a dumb pipe um and what are you hoping to you know what services are you all offering that gets them to that place 
So I think if you're the only service provider in a market, speed makes sense because if you have nothing, you're, you're going to be able to associate with that. But um, speed is death. It, consumers don't understand it. And so I think that, you know, we're on the light rating podcast, right? So you're filled, the people who are going to listen to this are filled with technologists and they're all, they all get giddy about, Ooh, one gig, 10 gig, 50 gig, blah, blah, blah. It means nothing to the consumer. I had the worst marketing campaign I've ever had across my email the other day, which was from a large cable provider who said, we've upgraded your speed to 50 meg. Nobody <laughs> understands that they understand when it sucks. And they understand when it's good. They mm -hmm. don't understand gig. They don't understand 100 meg, 200 meg, all that kind of stuff. As evidenced by the fact that we did a survey of 100 broadband providers who only have fiber. And of those 100 providers, they offer multiple tiers from 100 megs up to one gig or higher. Only 17% of subscribers took one gig or higher. Why? Because they don't understand speed. <laughs> And so all the technology people are all geeking out over speed, but it means nothing to, to the majority of consumers other than those 17%. And I know there's other people going to argue with me and say, oh, no, mine's way better. I'm at 30%, whatever. It's the same thing. It's not 100%, right? <laughs> and so this mindset of speed, 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 that's why I hear people talking about 50 gig. It's moronic. It is absolutely moronic. So I don't get it because you're not going to get the value out of it. I get it if you if there's a capex gain or a low opex gain, but there isn't. So right. so speed as a marketing strategy is a bad long term strategy. It only leads to one thing, and that's price wars. And so, what is the BSP of the future? The BSP of the future realizes that once I get to a base level of performance, then what I have to do is actually really focus on understanding my subscriber, all their different needs, their demographics, their behaviors, and give them the best experience. And when we talk about experience, we're not just talking about manage my Wi-Fi. What we're talking about is actually we've integrated a number of managed services and allowed the broadband service provider to add value. You know, the whole net neutrality thing is fascinating. What is net neutrality? It is dumb pipe providers saying, I'd like a cut of all of the, I'd like to put a toll on all the traffic that goes across my pipe, right? That's mm -hmm. what net neutrality is. What they're not acknowledging because they're in they have been in the past incapable of doing this is that they don't deserve a cut of it because they add no value <laughs> other than providing connectivity. This is what we've changed by integrating our, making our platforms in um, something that can be integrated into easily by partners. We allow them to take what is an over-the-top service and turn it into a full managed service. So the broadband service provider, I can understand what's going on with that service I provide you and make it better. So you have a choice. You can go buy it from that, that consumer company direct and then pray and hope that when you have a problem that someone will answer your post on a forum, right? Mm -hmm. You can install it yourself and go through all that stuff, which I was fine doing when I was 25. I certainly don't want to do it now, right? Or what you can do is you can turn to your broadband service provider who with, with these managed services is willing to come in, install these, but more importantly, be there if you have a problem. And I think that's the big transition we have to go through because no one has done this well. If you go back to, for example, let's take Vodafone and what they try to do with their app store. You know, all of these legacy companies have had massive failures on app stores because they don't recognize it's not about an app store. It's about managing the experience. And this is what we've changed. And then what happens is that once you start to do that, 
the BSP of the future can now partner with us and say, what are the next phases of innovation? And we talked, this was about digital divide. So I'll leave you with one of the more inspiring stories, which is um, two summers ago, now that our platform's in place, we can partner with anybody and convert anything into a managed service. And so Brad Moline, the CEO of Allo, and Allo is pretty well known, growing at an incredible pace and very innovative. And he called me and said, I've been thinking about the digital divide. And the problem is, is that, you know, the underprivileged child in COVID is even was really screwed, right? Mm -hmm. Because if my parents can't afford broadband, they gave me a Chromebook, but I can't connect it. So what am I doing? I'm hanging out at McDonald's trying to get broadband and do my homework. It's really sad. Yeah. And so he said, there's a way that we can actually solve this. What we can do is if we actually turn all Wi-Fi routers into basically microcells, then, and build a ubiquitous mesh across the town, we can make that a smart town. We can partner with the school and say, hey, you've got great broadband uh, Wi-Fi for the kid with the Chromebook that you gave them, but let's make it so they don't have to go to McDonald's or Starbucks to, to do Wi-Fi. Let's make it wherever they are in the town that as they roam, they can securely connect back into the school, be protected from predators and nasty content and stuff like that, but they can still do their homework. And so, and that became, it was such a, it was literally, you know, 4th of July, he called me and we talked about it. And then eight, you know, eight months later, we had it up and running and he's now got five schools um, connected into that. And he's giving those children the ability to roam around town. So that concept of innovation, innovation always comes from the small companies because they can move fast. And we are a company who is enabling that innovation and those great ideas. And that'll roll out across rural America and think about all these children whose lives are going to be better because of it. That's what I'm most excited about every day. And that's the BSP of the future, that they're enabled to be more innovative and they're not constrained. Well, that is a great place to leave it. Thank you so much, Michael. I really enjoyed talking with you and I can't wait to keep up with Calix's work. You're all doing awesome stuff. Thanks for your time, Nicole. Have a great My day. My pleasure. You too. Thank you again, Michael, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landria, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.